Guys, I should say, I, I, re I hope you realize you've got the 18 here tonight. <laughs> and so, Aline, thank you for, for being here. Uh, Paul, thank you. But most of all, Ashley, thanks for being here. Uh, most of all, thanks for being a friend of myself and Zelly. You're, you're most welcome. Right. I've, I've got to boot it up. <laughs> sure, we'll tell a joke. It is uh, great to be here and I've uh, been looking forward to this. Uh, um, we've been trying to organise this for a couple of years uh, for me to get over here and meet with you fine folk and uh, uh, somehow one thing after another has always delayed it. The good news is we're here now, so appreciate the invite to be here with you all. Um, we're not going to cover the Torah portion today, I want to bring a spiritual truth to the, you that's been on my heart for a period of time, so maybe you can turn in your word through to Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. I'm just going to start with one verse here and uh, build on that. So, who's got that in their word already? Yes. Eva, could you read that out? Chapter 3, verse 18. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now... Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Great. So how many days' journey were they meant to do? Three. Three. Where were they to do the journey? And what was the purpose of this three-day journey into the wilderness? Exactly. So to come to the place of having worship and sacrifice for the Lord. So three times he actually says this, also in chapter 5, verse 3, chapter 8, verse 27. The concept is, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness for the purpose of offering sacrifice. So keep that in the back of your mind for where we're going to head. Now, understand God's about to bless our people in such a way no one's ever seen before and really, rarely ever seen ever since then. And leading to go three days for the purpose of having sacrifice, having worship there. Bob Clinton, in his book, The Making of a Leader, um, that's Bob Clinton, not Bill Clinton. You don't want to take leadership principles from Bill. Uh, Bob Clinton wrote this great book about how to be a leader uh, in congregations, and he puts within there that after every blessing usually comes a time of testing. First the blessing, and then the testing. And God tests us so that we could see what have we learnt from our past blessings mm. that we can apply into our present today. Mm. Have we learnt anything in our journey of our life? Have you ever wondered, are you learning anything with all the things we go through uh, within there? So what can we apply from our past things that we've been through uh, to be able to apply into our present? So God begins to bless Israel. And from chapters 4 of Exodus through to chapter 12, he blesses Israel by destroying the ten main gods of Egypt. So every one of those ten plagues was a purposefully 
done plague where he came up to destroy the ten main gods. Israel had lived under Egyptian rulership for uh, 400 years. And in the ancient mind, it's not size of army versus size of army, but size of God versus size of God. <coughs> the fact that uh, you have the God of, of, of the slaves down here, and you have all the way the different gods uh, mounting up, stacking one after the other, until you get to Pharaoh, who was considered the incarnation of Ra, the sun god. There were all the ten gods above. They consider all above their god. What God had to show, the God of Israel had shown, it's actually reverse. And so each one of those plagues were done with a purpose, were done with an absolute intent. <coughs> what was the first plague? Water. Water. Water miracle. Taken on the God of the Nile, transforming the Nile, the life-giving Nile, into undrinkable water. And again, we find God blessing Israel after that, all the different plagues, finally down to the death of the firstborn, and they leave the land. Uh, blesses by freeing them overnight from being slavery, into being immediately the army of God. One day of slaves, next day the army of God. And chapter 13 of Exodus comes along. And God blesses again by leading our people up out of Egypt with the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. First recorded evidence of air conditioning taking place in the ancient world. So here's the thing. If you want to experience the fire by night, make sure you keep up with the cloud by day. If God moves, moves with God. Otherwise, you lose the very presence of God. Again and again, powerfully protecting Israel from all the enemies, and blesses them over and again. In, in chapter uh, uh, 13, verse 21, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a cloud of fire, uh, pillar of cloud to lead them on their way, and, a pillar, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Chapter 14 comes along, and God blesses Israel again, taking them through the sea. They walked on dry land. That's the second water miracle. Here's the, 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 God leads them to a place where the, uh, the sea's in front of them and the Egyptian army's coming behind them. And God delivers by opening the sea up in front of them, the second water miracle. They go through on dry land. When they get the other side, the Pharaoh's army decides to follow. And we find the third water miracle because what happened? Water closed up over them. So now they've seen three water miracles. And he leads them to this place. Now, remember, God's GPS wasn't broken. He knew exactly where he was leading them. He was leading them to a place where they thought that they would be in an impossible situation. With the sea in front, Pharaoh's army coming behind, things looked really bad. But God had led them to that place on purpose so he could show them another miracle. Could show them that he has power not only of the waters while in Egypt, he's got power of the waters outside of Egypt. He's God of the entire earth over and over again, seeking to build their faith. Here's a challenge I want to give you today. Are you feeling that you're in an impossible situation? I don't know what's going on in your life. But one thing I've found, if you think that you've got a sea in front of you and enemies coming behind you and you're in an impossible situation, get excited because things are looking right for a miracle. You're in a great place waiting to see God move because understand that God loves doing miracles. God loves 
doing creative things around us. Who wants to see a miracle? I get to say, Joe, I don't want to see one anymore. Because it means if I'm going to see a miracle, I've got to be in an impossible place. <laughs> and a painful place. Exactly that. You know, I'm tired of that. I just want smooth sailing for a while. You know, anybody else feel like that too? The idea of being and wanting to see a miracle means you're going to be in an impossible place where there's no natural answer for you. And everybody will basically look at you saying, man, you're stuffed. That's a theological word, you know, meaning that you're really stuffed. Um, but understand at that point, that's the place you need to be in order to see God's miracle. When things are going from bad to worse and things are going pear-shaped, that's the time not to run away from God. And I've seen over my life so many people get into the impossible situation. Well, weren't you praying for a miracle? You've got it now. The need for a miracle. Oh, that's it. I'm walking away from God. And they walk away from God. Well, you've walked away from your miracle and you're still stuck in the impossible situation. So what are you doing now? God loves doing miracles. God enjoys it. He is a miracle-working God. He is the creator and he loves doing creative miracles. I've seen it over and over and over again. Understand the place of your miracle is the place of the testing of your faith. What do you really believe at that point? See, we can all say we believe in God when everything's smooth sailing. But what about when you get into an impossible situation? Are you able to believe God there as much as when everything's going great? Chapter 14 and verse 13. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. What else does it say there? Anybody? Chapter 14, verse 13. You won't see them again. The Egyptians you are looking at, you will never see them again. And then what's it say? Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you won't need to lift a finger. Yep, you only need to be still. Here's the concept that God is the divine warrior. God is the divine warrior. He just loves a fight. And he's just beaten up all the Egyptian gods. And now he's trying to get them. The trouble is we've got to send film. I'm going to ask you to stand up for a moment. Oh, do you want to patch me up? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I, I want to actually beat you up. Because what it is, he's not standing firm yet. And every time he comes to stand firm, I'm going to push him back. How are you going to stand firm and stop me pushing you? See, you've got to dig in for I can't push it. You've got to dig in deep. Come on, put it in there. There you go. See, that's standing firm. Up until then, he's just mm, wimpy. You've got to stand through, you've got to dig in deep. And get there. And too often, we have something come along and we let life push us over. We've got to push back. Because guess what? The divine warrior's on our side. And we've got to stay plugged into him. We've got to keep on believing, keep on doing, regardless of what the circumstances say, and keep believing all the way beyond the end. Amen? He blesses. He delivers his people again and again, destroys the enemy in the scene. Now it's time to praise God. What's chapter 15 start off by saying? I will sing to the Lord. Will you? Yes, triumphant. And what else? Remember that old song that sang years ago? The horseman riding. 
There you go. That's, that's where it comes from. In other words, we are giving testimony. And right after this, he talks about God being the man of war. Just one for you. Um, the whole concept of the divine warrior. We are giving testimony. We have seen the miracles that our God has done. Look how amazing it is. He has become my strong. He's become my salvation. Hey, it can't get any better than this. Look what's happened. Isn't this amazing? <coughs> but have they learned anything? Have they learned anything deep down inside where they've learned from their past that they can apply to their present? What happens after a blessing? A testing. So, what's the rest of the chapter say from verse 22 onwards? Let's have different people read this. Maybe someone can read verse 22 and then someone 23, someone else 24, etc., etc., etc. And we'll keep on going through to 26. So... Who can read chapter twenty, uh, chapter fifteen, verse twenty-two? Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the Shur Desert. They travelled in this desert for three days without water. How long did they travel for? Three days. Right. So that should be in a good place, shouldn't they? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So verse twenty-three. That means somebody else read twenty-three. Then they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. That is why it was called Mara. Mara is a Hebrew word means bitterness. So verse 24, what's their response? And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Exactly. You've got to murmur against the leaders. It's their fault, of course. Yep. Verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. What did he do with them? Tested. It says it right there in the text. Mm -hmm. After the blessing comes, the test. here's the test. It even declares it to us. <laughs> and verse 26 he says. Someone? And I and said, If thou diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yeah. So if you do it my way, then I can bless you, and I'm not going to put any of the diseases on you, put the Egyptians, don't have to be afraid of me. Because I'm not the one who's there to destroy you. I'm the one here to heal you. And again and again it says that. So again, three days journey in the wilderness is where they've been. Uh, what should they be doing there? Worshipping and sacrificing. Exactly. What did, what did they do? Moan. Moan, complain, whinge. It's your fault. It's everybody's fault. It's everybody except me. You know, They found this place had undrinkable water. Now remember, God had already shown them three different miracles over water. The plague over the Nile, the parting of the sea, the closing of the sea over Pharaoh's army. So they've seen a lot of miracles already, seen a lot of water miracles. Um, but the thing is, could they believe God for a new water miracle? They should have got there and said, Oi, 
place of sacrifice and blessing. But we can't drink the water. <laughs> We're in the place of another miracle. Okay, God, let's see you do your God thing again and zap the water and let's see the miracle happen. That's what they should have said. Now, here's the thing again, God's GPS wasn't broken. He knew exactly where he's leading them, knew exactly that they're going to lead them to a place of bit of water, and he already had the tree ready to put in the water. So he brought them to the place for their miracle, had the miracle answer waiting for their appropriate response. But instead, they grumble, they complain, blame God, blame God's leaders, and we see there's a pattern throughout the whole of Tanakh. We see there's a pattern in the Brit Hanashah. We see that in the pattern of the last 2,000 years. Look around today, we see the same pattern. I like how one person said, I get tired of watching people go on these TV talk shows or radio talk shows, blaming their parents, blaming their culture, blaming their upbringing, blaming everything. He said, I just want to see one time someone gone on one of their show, shows and say, look, my parents are great, my upbringing was great, everybody's around me is great, I'm just a jerk. <laughs> That's what should be said most of the time, but no, we blame everybody else. The old song that used to be down in the 70s, how many of you can remember, we've got to get out of this place. It's the last thing we ever do. You know, we blame our circumstances rather than saying, okay, God, I'm in a tough spot. Let me see you do your God thing here. Instead, we criticize, we grumble, we complain. Not that any of you do that here. I understand that you don't ever grumble and complain. Amen. Certainly not you. No kvetching. No kvetching. Here's the thing. They let their circumstances stop their worship at the place of worship. The place of their miracle became the place of their convention. They let their circumstances at the place of worship stop their worship. Again, have you ever found yourself in a place you thought it was going to be a place of blessing? You thought it was going to go real good. But when you got there, everything started falling apart. Everything went pear-shaped. Have you found anything gone suddenly wrong, sometimes even horribly wrong? Have you ever found yourself one day on the top of the world and next day feel like you're digging holes down into the Hades itself? Have you ever felt that uh, Sheol is the next place you're heading for? Have you ever felt like Job? While he was yet speaking, another came with bad news. And while that one's still speaking, another came with And while that one's... And just one thing after the other. Anybody have any days like that? I've had. If you haven't, well, I can share some of my days with you. I'm happy to pass my things that I've been through around on to you. That's fine. Uh, the finances, you know, uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere uh, can go pear-shaped. The job that you trusted in get lost. The house can be foreclosed on you. That medical uh, um, diagnosis. I'm actually a bit shaken because one of our very best friends has just been texting me they're just being diagnosed with cancer. They're not believers. And so uh, I'm, as soon as I get off the plane tomorrow, I'll be going to visit them and just spending time for the first time in about 20 odd years, she let me pray with her. First time, first time. 
but again, it can happen. I saw an interview once of this homeless man up in Brisbane. He's living under a bridge. And he said in the interview, I, I, I never thought I'd end up like this. I was in middle management of the company. Everything's going great. We were top of the world. Everything's fantastic. And then the company decided to downsize and I was retrenched. And all of a sudden, I couldn't get another job. I was too overqualified for this one, underqualified for that one. I couldn't get a job. Next thing, the bank called. They closed the mortgage on us and we had to leave. And so we had to get into a rental. And my wife could get a job, but I still couldn't. And next thing, the rental said, no, you've got to get out. And my wife at that time decided to leave me and take the kids. And, and she could get a job and therefore get a rental, but I couldn't. And I'm living here under a bridge. What happened? It can happen like that. How did it happen, he said. But here's the question. Are you allowing your current circumstances to hold back your full worship of God? If we get into a situation where we allow our current circumstances to hold back our worship of God, then our worship is insincere. If we can only worship in the good times and not in the struggle times, then our worship is really not sincere, is it? We're only worshipping, even in a way of manipulating God to bribe him to keep the good times rolling. That's what the accusation against Job was. The only reason worshipping you, so what he can get out of you. Again, it's hard, it's the Job test. The Job test is, can I still worship God at the point of my pain? Can I still keep on believing? Very difficult, actually. I found it really easy. Uh, Harry, I don't know why you have a problem with it. Colossians 3.9. <laughs> you find that? What was that say? Colossians 3.9. Stop yeah. lying to one another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Harry knows that the reason why I didn't come here last year is because I went through cancer with my wife. And I actually said to a doctor once, I feel like Job. He said, do tell. I said, well, you're in here telling us some bored mad news. Before you, there's another medical team telling us. And see that mob out there uh, waiting to come in after you? They've got more bad news to tell us. So we know what it's like to live this. But at every point, my wife kept turning around and said, we will still keep worshipping God regardless. We will not back off on our worship. We will keep on serving God, keep on loving God, keep on believing God. In any ways, we live today's message. So when Harry said that, he knows that that point of pain. See, God had arranged Israel's circumstances of this bit of water for the purpose of seeing another miracle. And at the same time, learning a new aspect of God, where they could learn a new name of God designed to increase their worship. God had the answer ready. Just pick up the wood, threw it in the water, bam, water's done. It's healed. Another water miracle. Just waiting for their appropriate response. Same as for you. I don't know what's going on in your world, but I can tell you one thing. God didn't get up this morning and was shocked to find out what's happening in your world. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's got the answer for you. We just have to plug into God. And get the answer. He healed their circumstances. He healed their situation. He transformed their world into a place to enable their worship and prayer. As it said there in verse 25, he made the waters sweet. 
He transformed earth's bitter waters into heaven's sweet waters. And in verse 26, he declared there, Ani Adonai Rafecha. You've probably heard people say Jehovah Rapha. Um, Jehovah is never found in the Bible anyway. It's a combined of two Hebrew words that formulates a word that doesn't exist. And Rapha is a problem with that word as well because it misses off the word at the end. So it's Rafecha. Can you say Ani? Adonai, Adonai. Rafecha. Go to get the ch. You know, just practice a bit. Flow it out a bit. The ch is important because that's you. Otherwise, it's just generic, you know, the Lord heals. No, the Lord heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. And that's the important thing. That he comes in and he wants to heal and transform our world. Here they, he didn't heal their physical body. He healed their, healed their circumstances, their environment, the world around them. Rather than saying, God, get me out of this place. God, heal this place. Heal me and then transform me. Transform this place into being a place of worship. Whether it's in your home with family, whether it's in your workplace, wherever you go out to play or whatever you do, pray God to manifest himself, to transform that place into being a place with transformation that will produce worship. Because that's what God wants to do in your world. The first thing God reveals to himself at the place of worship was in the Adonai Rafecha. The first name of God that Israel learns as a free people is in the Adonai Rafecha. That's one of those I am statements. I am the Lord who heals you. And that's an amazing thing that they would know. The first thing is a free people. We can trust our God that he can heal us. He can deliver us. He can set us free. And as a healer of the world, the environment, the circumstances, not just physical body. God is a miracle working God who loves to do miracle healings and do all kinds of deliverance within our circumstances. God knows what you're going through in your world and God wants to heal your world. One of the ministries of Celebrate Messiah is Tikkun Olam, which means restoration of the world. God wants to come in and restore your world back into being a place of worship. And that's our ministry arm. We go out and give food parcels to people who are you know, struggling hard and finding life tough. We want to come in and just do something practical to help restore their world into being a place of worship. And we hear so many testimonies about that. But what they didn't realise is that at this place of sacrifice, because it doesn't say the word worship there, it uses the word sacrifice, which is worship, I understand that. But what they didn't realise, the first thing they had to sacrifice was their attitude. Who's ever found it got tough all of a sudden? You sometimes shake your fist at God. Anybody ever done that, been upset with God? Anybody ever did a real dummy fit at God? You had a few, I've had a few. But it says, if you follow me, that's if there's, you know, doing it my way, living your life according to my ways, doing the praying, doing the worshipping, doing the believing, then ani Adonai Rafecha. We so often want to compromise and just, you know, live as the non-believers would live 
and expect God still to move in our world. And God said, no, no, I'm not going to do it that way. If you do your part, then I'll do my part. I like the, the word if there's, I call it a hinge word. You can either swing this way or that way. It all depends on our response to it all. And again, don't complain. Don't stop praying. Don't stop worshipping because of your circumstances. Even if they change, even if they change drastically. That's the time to press in and pray and worship and believe. To stand firm. You need to worship when things go horribly wrong. That's what my wife said constantly through last year. And we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. The doctors would walk into the hospital room on, on the Wednesday and looking at their charts and going, oh, yeah, you, you, you're going to be here for a couple of weeks, so, you know, just get comfortable. And then walk in on the Friday looking at new reports going, well, <clears throat> yeah, you can go home now. Over and over again. We had a CAT scan done on a Friday because they knew they didn't get all the cancer in the main surgery. CAT scan was done on the Friday. Lit up everywhere. All the way through her thorax, through the pelvic area, all the way up, behind on the kidneys, ureter tubes taken out, uh, and most disturbingly on her aorta. Sorry, that's it. We had people praying around the world. One of our friends in Israel sends a picture of them in their, in their reformed synagogue in Jerusalem, showing the hills of Jerusalem while they're praying for us. Aboriginal communities up north. I know guys over at Celebrate Messiah are praying. People overseas in, in the USA and other countries praying. We go in on Wednesday to get a PET scan. If you know the difference between a CAT scan, a CAT scan will show general. A PET scan will show very exactly where the cancer is. Go in on the Thursday to get the result. And they won't give us the result. Delay, 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 just not giving us a result. I could see him double screening. Wouldn't do it, wouldn't give it. After an extended long period of time, he finally pushes back from the uh, uh, screen and says, there is no cancer. I said, where's the aorta? He goes, straight there. There, there the cancer is. There it's not. From Friday to Wednesday, gone. And what about on the urethra? Gone. What about here, all the way through, completely gone from the PET scan. The chief scientist of the main research hospital in Perth is a good friend of mine. He had been tracking it. And he had told me when he first saw the result, all the way back in February, he knew then it was curtains, unless a miracle happened. And he kept praying for a miracle. And he said, got to understand, a PET scan, uh, a CAT scan on a Friday and a PET scan on a, on a, on a Wednesday that's clear, is impossible to happen. Mm -hmm. I says, you're talking a miracle here. Chief scientist of the hospital says, yeah. you can't verbally say it, because that's liable, <laughs> but he just sits there and, yeah, amazing. <clears throat> and sadly, yet we still worship. In the end, beginning of December, a new cancer comes in, a rare cancer. I said, trust you to get something rare, you know, <laughs> some real weird one. Now it's a fluid-based cancer. It's called a CETES cancer. And now it's just wherever there's fluids in your body, there it is. And from diagnosis to, as she said, I'm being promoted to glory. <laughs> it was eight days. She saw total healing, just one step, and I'm healed. 
completely, totally, forever. She said, I'm stepping into the arms of Yeshua. I'll be there waiting for you. I win. And even then, she said, we will not stop worshipping God. We will not stop believing. We will not let this stop our ministry. And part of why I'm here today is on her behalf to say, we still believe in a miracle-working God. I'm not going to let circumstances of this world shut down what Torah says. God's declared it. And I've realised that you can either be healed in this world, or for her, it was just one step and bam, radically, totally, fully healed. Changed her circumstances more than what we were expecting. But I have to trust she is totally healed now. Amen? What will happen? Sadly, no worship is recorded here at the place of, uh, of, of worship. They didn't do the worship there. Here's the thing. Yeshua can also say, Adonai Rebekah. If you go to John chapter 2, it records there another miracle. The miracle story of Yeshua. What's Yeshua's first miracle? Anybody remember? Turn what? Turn undrinkable water into being the best of wine. You know the story. So here's the thing. Don't think in in, in white western ways of doing a wedding where it's all done on the same day. The wedding's there spread out over a week. The immediate family comes on the first couple of days and slowly through the week the more distant cousins come until the end of the day. If they've run out of, out of wine and probably a bit of food in the middle of the week, it means they were a very poor family. And they would have been put in such an embarrassing circumstance, embarrassing situation, that their family would have had shame attributed to it for decades to come. Yeshua coming in the middle of the week shows his, his, his relative, but not immediate family, but his relative there. And he comes in there and he again is able to show his first miracle, just like when bringing up out of the land of Egypt and showing the first miracles that of the Ni'adonai Rafaka healing their environment, we find Yeshua doing the same thing, transforming the environment of a poor family that would have suffered shame and humiliation in their community, their circumstances. And he goes in and transforms their circumstances, transforming their world, removing the shame from that poorer family, not having sufficient uh, wedding supplies. And it's here written as a direct echo of the one back in Genesis 15. Oh, sorry, Exodus 15. So as he changed their world then through a water miracle, so he does another water miracle here as a direct echo of that. The understanding of he transforms their world into being a place of worship and a place of freedom. And so he can also say, and the Adonai Rafeka, he is the God who heals our lives and gives us eternal life. And it says there in the scriptures that he healed all who came for him, transforming their world into a place of worship and prayer. Of course, the ultimate one was when he died on that tree for us. It's interesting in, in uh, Exodus, it was a tree that healed the bitter waters. And in the New Covenant, we also find the tree heals our eternal lives as well. But then again, let's go into further into the, the days of after Yeshua has left. And we find in the book of Acts, 
and the Holy Spirit falls out. The Rock HaKodesh comes in in Acts chapter 2 and it's an amazing time and the, the, the things of the Rock now flows in the community and there's amazing time. They're breaking bread from house to house and the numbers have been added to every day and great things are happening. But here's the question, what are now Yeshua's Talmudim going to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Is that going to be used to entertain themselves or please themselves that's so often done today? Or are they going to go out and transform their world? Acts chapter 3 is the telling story. Here's where they come to their big test. They've got their blessing, but what about the test? Acts chapter 3, they're going into the temple. And here's this guy lame at the gates of the temple. So therefore, at the place of worship, he is unable to worship because of his circumstances. He wants to go in the temple, but he can't because he's lame. And he's, stand, he's sitting there begging for food right at the temple. You get the idea he wants to go in, but he can't. So here's the question, what are they going to do about it? Are they going to be God's representative and use the Holy Spirit to transform others? Again, at the place of worship, but unable. Now here's the thing, Yeshua would have likely have walked past this guy. Many times. Why didn't he heal him? Pardon? Wasn't time. The one thing I found, timing is everything with God. Mm -hmm. I, when I get into eternity and go join Debbie, I'll be saying to him, what's this word quickly that you mentioned? Or soon? Or swiftly? <laughs> you know, immediately, yeah. Well, what's, you're immediately and my immediately are two different immediately. <laughs> You know, you're quickly, my quickly, the time lapse here somewhere. But it takes God in his timing, and in his timing is everything. Because now it gives the opportunity for Yeshua's followers to show out, have they learnt anything from their past blessings that they can now apply into their present? And what's it say there? Someone read out Acts chapter 3, verse 6 to 8. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 to 8. Someone who hasn't read yet. Give everybody a go, an opportunity. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Verse 8. With a leap, he stood up right and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Yeah. So what was the guy's first response to do after his heal? Worship. Go straight into the place of worship. So again, his world was transformed because now Yeshua's Talmudim are going out there in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and raising people up, transforming their world so they could go into a place of worship. And we find the whole rest of the Brit Hadashah full of stories 
of the Talmudim going out and transforming worlds, transforming communities, transforming towns from being that which worshipped pagan into being that which worshipped the presence of God again and again and again. And the healing power continually flowing through the Harashah, just as it did through Tanakh, all the way back into Torah, all the way showing same God, same purpose. And the other Nairafeka still flowing throughout the text and now even in our world today. Who can ever say that you know that God's touched you and healed you? Anybody here? Yeah. You know you've been touched by God, you know you've been healed by God. In other words, still the same God moving today. And that's the amazing thing. So we need to learn, God, you've got the answer already. No matter what I'm facing in my world, you have the answer already now. You're just waiting for my appropriate response. Anytime you have a tough moment in your life, recognize, okay, I prayed for a miracle. I put up my hand for a miracle. I'm now in the place of a miracle. Let me not complain about getting what I asked for. I want to be an overcomer. Oh God, help me to be an overcomer. And then they get something they need to overcome and they complain about it. Well, you've asked to be an overcomer. Why are you complaining? Because God's giving you something to overcome. If you don't overcome it, you can be a duck arounder, a go arounder. But you can't be an overcomer until you get up and go through it and learn what God has for you. Again, going out and transforming the world. All about it all. So the one thing I want to encourage you today is what's happening in your world. Just sit back and say, right, things are looking right for a miracle. Things are looking, okay, what are you going to do here? Do your thing. Because we know you love doing your thing. God loves doing miracles. God loves doing healing. God loves doing deliverance. God loves transforming our world. And if we want to see God move in our lives in such a way that you will see a miracle, that everybody go, whoa, that's not circumstances. Sometimes it's got to get worse before it gets better. Over and over again. The question is, where do you need to encounter the God who says, where do you need to encounter the one to transform your world? Amen? Let me pray for you. Adonai, we thank you that you are the creator of heaven and earth. There's nothing too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible for you because you are the creator and you love doing creative miracles in our lives. And Lord, you see everyone here tonight. You know what's going on in their world Beyond even what they know, you know what's going on. And you're not worried because you know that you have the power to heal, to deliver, to set free, to transform lives, to transform worlds. You can do it. You can supply the jobs. You can uh, give, give the health. You can bring the healing. You can bring in the finances. You can repair the families. You can repair their world. God, I pray that you would touch everyone here. And let them know that you're there for them. They don't complain to you or to others. They just come in. And as tough as what it is at times, we keep trusting you. Who else can we turn to? You alone have the words of life. And we thank you for this, Bashem Yeshua. 
Can you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Talking about blessing and testing, Lawrence and Louise mm. Hirsch, their son, uh, Asher, married the daughter of Barry and Melinda, who's the missionary, and Lawrence and Louise are the directors of Celebrate Messiah. Uh, Asher and his wife, Abby, uh, have received a son uh, this week, and so that's a real blessing. However, there's some testing there too. He's not been well, um, he's been in hospital. Uh, a number of medical procedures. Um, so it'd be good for us to pray mm. for them and say, Amen. Adonai Rafecha, mm. you are the Lord who heals. And so mm. it'd be good if we, uh, as we break up into little groups, if we can pray for one another, but also remember this little boy, his name is Esra. Be good to remember him in prayer. Hmm. Amen. Hmm. Let's break in little groups and just pray for one another. Hmm. And then um, 